I begin today by telling you about my honest-to-goodness search for a UFO. We remind you that color choice can be really important, particularly if you find yourself on a similar mission. I tell you about an everyday word that can spark so much contention within Christianity, and I point out the ways in which we might want to pay attention to how Jesus did things rather than just what he said. All of this is on the way to answering the question, can stories be true? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I'm going to start by saying that scholars love the word myth, M-Y-T-H. They use it to mean a story, traditionally one that's been around for a long time, that explains some aspect of our existence, purpose, and relationship with supernatural forces in our world. In other words, all religions, as far as I know, all religions have myths. But I've never been fond of the word because... The technical, scholarly meaning of the word differs so greatly from the cultural vernacular meaning that is used by just the rest of us. Scholars use the word to mean one thing, which I've already described, but by and large, everyone else uses the word to mean untrue or false. Now, there's another word that doesn't have the love of the scholarly community, but it is hotly debated and often argued over in the religious world. Well, actually, I should be more specific as to what I know about in terms of my experience. Hotly debated within elements of Christianity. And the word is one that you know well and use all the time. The word is story. Now, the next thing I'm going to say shouldn't be controversial. The Bible is filled with stories. But the moment someone says the Bible is filled with stories, you get a strong response from some within Christianity who vehemently disagree. Look, lots of Christians have said that the word story is misleading because they aren't stories, they are true. Now, I'm figuring that these people have probably had their opinion of the word shaped by a parent when they were growing up who frequently asked them, is that true or are you telling me a story? Maybe some of these people told a lot of stories, so they just themselves came to believe it means not true. So, of course, in this case, in this particular type of usage, story is just another substitute for is this true or are you telling me a lie? So let me say at this point, I'm here to speak in support of the word story. So as a starting place for this particular topic, I want to start by telling you a story. Many years ago, when I was just out of college, my housemate, Brad, and I decided to, well, we wanted to spend some time in the Smoky Mountains. Now, my parents owned a place that sat just over 5,000 feet on top of a ridge, and the ridge is divided straight down the spine of the ridge by a split rail fence that designated the border to the Smoky Mountain National Park, and then on the other side was our property. Their piece of property was shaped like a triangle, with its longest edge of that triangle following along the border of the park. Now, the reason I'm describing all of this is this description is meant to give you an understanding of one thing, the remoteness of the place that they had. In every direction, when you were at their log lodge, 
it was at least a mile or more to the nearest neighbor. And more often than not, they were several miles away. And even those homes stood dark and empty most of the year. Now, from our front porch, you looked across a valley to a mountain range that faced ours. On that mountain range was the Cataloochee Ski Slope. So Brad and I were staying there, enjoying the remoteness and being in the mountains. We had a fire going in the fireplace. It had been a beautiful and clear day, but the weather reports predicted heavy clouds to surround us later that night. But at this point in the evening, there were just a few cloud wisps drifting quickly across the mountains around us. As we were sitting there enjoying the night, there was a sudden sound. It sounded like someone else in the house somewhere had dropped something large and heavy. My first thought was that it was a full wooden barrel that had been dropped onto a carpeted floor. That is an oddly strange image to come up with in that moment. Is that a sound that you've heard before? No, look, don't ask me to explain it. That's just the sound that occurred to me in the moment. So there we are. The two of us were 20-something-year-old guys alone in my parents' home, and there was this sudden and unexpected sound that took us by surprise. What did you do? Yeah, we looked at each I other. I mean, what did you do in response to the sound? Um, We looked at each other, and then we went back to what we were doing. But by the way you describe it, you weren't doing anything. You were doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. But we were really deeply committed to it, and we didn't want to be disturbed. Anyway, we went back to our previous endeavors, and well, like any self-respecting 20-something-year-olds, we ignored the sound. About an hour later, the phone rang. When I answered, there was a woman named Judy, who was one of the owners of the ski slope, of Cataloochee Ski Slope, on the other range that we looked at. She was on the other end of the line. She had called to tell me that there had been sighting of a UFO that night. Oh, this story just became very interesting. I love UFOs. Yeah, I thought you might. Judy was friends with my parents, and I assumed she had looked across the valley, seen the lights on at our place, knew someone was there, and decided to call and share the latest scuttlebutt. I told her that I thought that was really interesting. I thanked her for calling and sharing the latest news. And then she stopped me as I'm getting ready to hang up. And she said, no, I don't, I don't think I've been clear. Whatever it was, they think it landed on your property. I was probably silent for a moment as I thought about what she just said. They think a spaceship has landed on our property. Well, no, she responded. The police think it may have been a plane that went down. I told them I'd call you to see if you were there and if you were to see if you could go out and have a look around and... Immediately after she said that, my first thought was, ooh, an adventure, a real-life adventure. Yes, indeed. By this time, the wispy clouds had turned into a dense fog, and we couldn't see more than 15, 20 feet, sometimes a lot less. So Brad and I put on our rain gear and got ready for the night. We grabbed our best flashlights. I will say once we got outside, the flashlights didn't help much, though, since they did more illuminating of the clouds, of the fog around us, than they did the terrain surrounding us. As soon as we started the adventure, it quickly seemed a lot less like an adventure and more like the setup for a horror film. Oh, just don't trip and fall. The person who trips is always a goner. <laughs> Okay, got it. Oh, and how bad would it have been if you were wearing a red Star Trek uniform? Yeah, I wasn't. 
I mean, I haven't, as in ever. Okay, so our first thought was that if there was a plane that went down, then there should be some flames from the wreckage, and we could see that, and the light from the flames would guide us to where the wreckage was, but there was, there wasn't any light of any kind that we could see. And then, as we wandered through the night, a new thought occurred to me. What if there was a plane crash? What if there really was a plane crash, and if there were survivors, not just wreckage? What if suddenly, out of the dark mist surrounding us, a bloody man appeared screaming for help? Help me! What terrified me the most is that we were equally likely to run, faint, or just beat him to death with our flashlights in a fearful response. We hiked for what felt like several hours and was probably much shorter. We didn't know what we were looking for and, well, I was absolutely terrified. Terrified that we would actually find something, which in this case, we did not. Oh, very disappointing. Yeah, I think that's because you weren't there. Eventually, we went back to resume, well doing nothing. Later, we went to bed. Now, I don't know if Brad got much sleep that night, but I I did not. The next day, sometime in the morning, Judy called back with the latest update. The official thinking had changed totally. There weren't any planes that were missing, and from what eyewitnesses have said, it was much more likely that a meteor had impacted on or near our property. Oh, did you ever... No, I know your next question. No, I never found the meteor. From that point on, I was always aware that I might stumble upon it, but my parents had 250 wooded acres, most of which I would never step foot on in the time we were there. So unless it had landed in the grassy front yard, the chances were really, really small that I would ever come across it. And no, no, I never found it. So... Since today we're talking about the word story, I thought it would be helpful well, to begin by telling one. So, it wasn't very long ago that I was online and someone described the Bible as a book of stories. This immediately triggered a firestorm of responses and almost all of them were negative in response, saying, No, no, the Bible isn't filled with stories. The Bible is filled with truth. Now, I do get what they are saying. There are certain people out there who absolutely do say that the Bible is filled with mythic stories which are intended to be seen as fables, not historical events. And these are the same people who often talk about the Bible as poetry. Poetry meaning unclear verses from which you can take any meaning you like. And interestingly, I think these people do a disservice and are disparaging both the Bible and poetry at the same time. So in response to people saying that the Bible is filled with stories, other people say the things, the events that are told in the Bible are not myths. They are not fable-like stories from which we are intended to just draw nice life lessons because that means they aren't true. The things related in the Bible, these people argue, are real life, actual events that happened and it is their historicity that makes them so very powerful. Now, I will say, I disagree with the people who want to dismiss the Bible as poetry. But I also disagree with the argument that there aren't stories in the Bible. First, I disagree with the idea that story means made up. 
I very intentionally began this episode, this podcast, with a personal story that is, that is true. It isn't made up at all. So in defense of story, I want to say that calling something a story doesn't mean that it is necessarily a work of fiction. A story can be absolutely true and still be a wonderful and powerful story. I also want to tackle the notion that history is somehow more true, more real, more powerful than fiction. Now, I heard this for the first time. I remember it really specifically. Before I went to seminary, I was working in Knoxville, Tennessee, and one of my co-workers was a guy, he's an amazing guy, super bright guy, had been a very accomplished athlete throughout his life, but also was a phenomenal, voracious reader as well. So we're talking about the books that we've read and what we enjoy reading, and he expressed his disdain to me for fiction. I'd never heard this before. Why would I waste my time reading something that isn't true? That doesn't make any sense to me. In the years since he said this, he was the first I ever heard say that, but in the years since, I've heard this said quite a few times, almost word from word, but from different people. So part of my defense of story is to say that the value of a story is not always found in its historical accuracy, but is often found in the truth that it conveys. When I wrote the story about looking for a UFO, or downed plane, or meteor, but I didn't know that's what I was looking for at the time, but when I wrote that story for this podcast... When I wrote this story about looking for a UFO in the mountains on a dark and cloudy night, I did not consult Brad before writing it down because I know the story by heart. Now, do I have some facts wrong in my telling of it? I, I would guess that the chance of an error or two is almost 100% now that is 30 plus years since all of this happened. But... The story is true. It's true in my telling to the best of my ability, and more importantly, true and accurate to my experience of the story. Look, it was more important to me that you get a sense of what I was feeling in the moment of this true story than it was to me that you know exactly what kind of chair I was sitting in when we were in front of the fireplace or the historical details of it. Look, it genuinely surprises me that some Christians get caught up in the factual stories are the only ones with power fallacy. I get it. Their lives are shaped by the stories about Jesus. And for Christians, there is a very real investment in the idea that this guy was real and that the things he did and said were also real. So there's a tendency to believe that real life history well, it's more important, more powerful than a made-up story. But let's move away from the question, was Jesus a real guy, to another question. Can a story be fiction and still be powerful and still tell the truth? But I think some Christians would say, sure, there can be powerful works of fiction, but those aren't as powerful as true life events that are found in the Bible. Okay, that's a really good point. Let's put this in perspective. For Christians, who is the central figure of the Bible? It's Jesus. I would agree. Now, here's my next question. What was probably the favorite form of teaching for Jesus? 
Oh, telling stories. Bingo. The stories Jesus loved to tell were called parables. And as far as I know, not one of them, not one of the parables that Jesus told in Scripture was true. Every single parable that Jesus told was a work of fiction by Jesus, told by Jesus to tell a truth. Look, I'm not here to say that any given story is true or is not true. That's for you to decide for yourself. But I do feel like this is one of those in which the extremes in an argument drown out the wisdom that can be found in the middle of the discussion. Even if you aren't a Christian, if you want to understand the power of biblical stories, you need to approach them with an open mind. Let me give you a similar example. I really can't count the number of times I've sat with a family after the death of one of their loved ones and had them begin to tell me stories. And often they will tell me kind of the story. There's an important story in their family history. Sometimes it's a family origin story that is literally generations old. And not being a member of the family, as I listen to the story, sometimes I will think as they tell it, wow, that's an amazing story. And part of it actually seems a little hard to believe, but it is an amazing story. And what I need to realize in that moment, and was pretty good about this, is that I don't have to believe or understand. I just need to allow for the reality that this family believes this story to be true, and that's enough, and that the story has shaped them. I don't need to challenge it or reshape it myself. Just allow it to be, to take it the way they take it. And if I do, if I allow myself to be open at least to that, then I can learn a lot about them as a family. So the learning here is allow people's stories to be what they are, even biblical ones. The other lesson in all of this should be held in tension with the first. Made-up fictional stories can be enormously powerful and, well, in their own way and tell just as much truth as any factual story. And for my Christian listeners who find this uncomfortable for me to say that, if you disagree with that statement, that's your prerogative. But I will add, you're disagreeing with Jesus on that one because he was the king of telling made-up stories. That's all for today. Now, I'm interested in your response to the following. Tell me a story from your life or from growing up. It can be a book. It can be a story your grandmother told you or perhaps a movie. Tell me the story that has deeply shaped your life and continues to do so. You can share it in one of two ways. You can send it to me in an email, dan at skypilot.zone, or you can hop over to the YouTube page and just leave it in the comments below this corresponding video for this podcast. If you want to tell the whole story, tell me the whole story. If you just want to do something like name it, as in a reference, as in the children's book, Runaway Bunny by Margaret Wise Brown, that works as well. I will say the question I hope you will answer with this one limit. Any story, any story you want to name, other than, let's say, one from the Bible. Those are great stories. I love those stories. I've spent my ministry studying those stories. But I want to hear your story. And... And we'll just consider those stories, the Bible stories, like the free space in bingo, already a given. So just let me know what your story is. I would love to hear from you. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for joining us here today and being part of the SkyPilot Faith Quest community. 
This is a great place to ask questions you wouldn't feel comfortable or safe asking in other places. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.